So tonight I wanted to, um, to talk about the Sabbath. And I have some questions for us because um, there are many denominations that still uh, try and keep the Sabbath as was outlined in the law. But there is a true Sabbath. There is a true Sabbath. There is a true place of rest. And uh, my focus scripture tonight is from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And I know that may sound a little bit cryptic, so I was going to read it in a, in a modern translation to uh, make it bring home what the scripture is trying to say. So in the New Living Translation, it says this, For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger, I took an oath. They shall never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Because what did God do when he finished creation? He rested. That was the place of rest that was actually created right from the beginning of the world. If we had been able to keep it, that was the place of rest that God wants us to be able to enter. Again, in in the King James Version, it says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Meaning, God's rest has always been available. And tonight, what I want to show is that only, only certain people are actually true Sabbath keepers. It's not the abstention of work in the natural that makes you a true Sabbath keeper. But we shall see. Okay. Hebrews 4.9 goes on to say, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Who's tired tonight? Who would like that rest? Amen. 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 I'm, I'm fast looking at, uh, at, uh, at the end of my labors. I'm telling you that. My, my, uh, someone called me tonight and said, are you retired? I said, I wish. <laughs> Amen. But I'm fast looking for, for that day. But there is a rest to the children of God. Although you've been fighting, although you've been through all kinds of things, there is a rest that is promised to us. Amen. The other scripture says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. As God did from his. For he that is entered into rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. You know what that's trying to tell us? All our worry, all our trying to make things work out, it means that we're not really keeping the Sabbath that God really designed for us. If we truly had gotten to a place of, of, of trust, we would be perfect Sabbath keepers. But let's start from the beginning. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, God in the giving in the commandments, in the Ten Commandments said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and in it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy servant, nor thy daughter, 
thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Why did God create this thing called the Sabbath? Well, he gave this to the Jews and all the ceremonies as a symbol of something he was trying to teach, of a principle he was trying to get over. And in, in Hebrew, they don't have names for the days. They just have numbers. So it's just the first, second, third, fourth, fifth day. In, in, our, uh, in English, we have different names for the day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. But in Hebrew, the, the days of the week did not have proper names. They were numbered. And God chose this seventh day to enter into his rest. And it's very interesting when you read in Genesis that each of the previous days had a beginning and an end. It said the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. And it goes all the way through till it comes to the seventh day, but it doesn't have an end. God is still in his day of rest. It does not have an end. And then the scripture is telling us that we have the opportunity to enter into his rest. Isn't that amazing? And the reason why we're so worried and tired and frazzled is because... We have not kept the Sabbath. We should be the true Sabbath keepers. The true Sabbath keepers. Let's look at this. The Bible tells us something about why he instituted this ceremony of not working on the seventh day. Exodus thirty-one twelve, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that he may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you, that separates you, that keeps you separate. What they were doing was something that was completely different than all the nations and tribes around them to set apart this every seventh day as something that was dedicated to God. This this made them different. That and all the ceremonies, the circumcision, all the other things made them unique. He says that this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that he may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you, that does separate you. He shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. The first punishment for breaking of the Ten Commandments was for breaking the Sabbath in Numbers 15. The first recorded punishment for breaking one of the commandments was for breaking the Sabbath day rules. And it seems so strict and so harsh that a man was caught picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Verse 15 says, Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord, whosoever doth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual uh, covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel. What kind of sign, and I don't want an answer, I want you to think about it. What is the sign of the Sabbath? What did God mean when he told them, it is a sign between me 
and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. So since this commandment says it's forever, then why is it that we don't teach to observe the literal Sabbath? There are some denominations that do teach to observe the literal Sabbath. Of course, Orthodox Jews uh, still do that. We have a, a synagogue that's near us, and when you drive on a Saturday, or sorry, a Friday evening, you see them all walking to the synagogue because they're trying to observe the Sabbath command to only go a, a certain distance. In Jesus' time, that was also done, but they found ways to go around the prohibition on, on, on walking. There are groups today that denominations like the Seventh-day Adventists that um, they also try and keep the Sabbath, um, but they drive. They still get in their vehicles and they, they drive or they, I assume they, they cook food. So why do we not observe a lit, literal Sabbath? Why don't we feel that we are under the Sabbath rules? Well, let's look at that. In Galatians chapter 2.16... Paul says this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Nothing we could have done could have saved us. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Because the Bible in another place says, not by works... Lest any man should what? Boast. No matter how righteous or how good we think we are, we're so far from God's perfection. So it's not by works. That doesn't mean that we're not to do some things. But doing some things does not justify us before God. Doing things justifies us before men. Right? That's where the justification, people have to see that we have works to support our actions. That's what James means. But it doesn't justify us before God because it can't. Only he can do it. That's why he did the work. That's why he rested and he said, you can enter my rest. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, if by keeping the Sabbath it suddenly made me super holy and righteous, then why did Christ come? Why did he die? So then Christ is dead in vain. So what Paul is saying is that we are no longer under the the commandment of the law, even though in the scripture it says for the Jews that it was a forever thing. Now, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that the Sabbath... um, Keeping has gone away, but it's now implemented in a different way. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's why it was forever. So what was the purpose in the Sabbath? Why did God set that up? He set up all those other seven um, feasts and appointments, and then he set up the Sabbath day, and it was part of the Ten Commandments. Well, let's go back to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And when it says rested, it doesn't mean he was tired. It means there was nothing more to be done. You know, when you have finished something, there's no more you can do if it's perfect. Any, any change after that means it's not perfect because perfection is just one stage, one point. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, or in other words, set it apart because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made means he ceased. God ceased from his work. And the reason why God ceased from his work was why? It was finished, and why was it finished? What did he say in Genesis 1.31? Why was he finished? Because it was very good. In other words, it was perfect. And when he got to that point of perfection, what he was saying and what he had done was for man at that point to enter his perfection. That's what it means when it says, although the works were done from the creation. It means his his. His place of rest always has existed. That's what one of the means when it says from the foundation of the earth. There was a place of rest prepared where we had to do nothing except enjoy it. You know, and maybe Sister Hannah can relate to this. When you know you're going to have a baby, in nature, what do birds do when they want to have uh, little baby birds? They build a nest. They build a nest and they prepare for the fact of giving birth. And many parents do that too. They'll have a little room or they'll get a a little cot and a bed and they'll start preparing and they'll have everything ready for the birth. That's exactly what God did in nature. He prepared this universe for the birth of his children and it was perfect. And all we had to do was stay in his place of rest. But some people want to add to what God has already done and you can't do that. You can't do that. They, they wanted to do more than what God had already prepared. I was talking to someone today and explaining to them about the fact that God had taken that seventh day and applied it to the seventh year. Israel was supposed to also, every seventh year, let the land rest. And they refused to do that out of greed and out of a lack of trust because God had promised them That if they did that in the sixth year, they would reap double. But just like a lot of us, well, you know, I have to do this because I don't know what's going to happen. And so for 490 years, they ignored that command. And so then God made them have rest. When When the Babylonians came and took them away. You cannot add anything to God's finished work. Let me say it again. You can't add to God's work. Because it's already perfect. In Exodus thirty four twenty one, again, he says, Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In airing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. He was saying, even when it's time of the harvest, you still have to keep my Sabbath. Even when you think, oh man, if I could just do another day, you still have to keep my Sabbath. Even when the, the ears of corn are, are ripe, if it was the seventh day, you leave it alone. You have to keep my Sabbath. Exodus sixteen fourteen. And when the dew that lay was gone upon the, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as a hoarfrost on the ground. God even provided the food while they were in the wilderness. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna. 
For they wist not what it was. In other words, they didn't know what it was called. And manna means, what is this? This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. And they gathered every man according to his eating. But you know, there's always some people who are going to go beyond what God commanded. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long ye keep my commandments, long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the six days the bread of two days. Do you understand what the Sabbath was about? Anyone would like to venture a thought on what the Sabbath then was really about? Obedience, certainly. Obedience, certainly. Trust. You had to trust that you were still going to have enough to eat if you only gathered on the sixth day. Same thing with the seventh year. They had to trust that they were not to, to sow in the sixth year, that God was going to give them a harvest. The whole purpose of the Sabbath is based upon faith, on trusting God. It was a repetition every seven days to trust God, that you needed to rest, and that he was, he was going to take care of this. He has got this. Verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. After a while, they found out that if they try to gather too much, it would rot. God forced them. That, that's the scripture that Jesus is quoting in Luke when he said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. And the, it is written is in, in Deuteronomy or Numbers, I think, when he said that he suffered you to hunger so that you may learn. It was all about trust. It was all about faith in God. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's about absolute trusting God that you were not to work. He was still going to be your caretaker, that he had prepared a place of rest, that his work was sufficient. Isn't that what on Sunday we were talking about with, with, with Paul? When he was pressed out of measure and all these other things happened to him, he said, finally, in, in, second, in, in um, Corinthians, he said that he had learned that when he was weak, then he was strong because of God's power could rest upon him. Let's look at the, the symbol that God was given in this literal Sabbath. In the New Testament, Paul makes it clear that that had ended when Jesus had died. In Colossians 2.16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day. He was saying, don't let the, and I don't want to name any religions here, but it used to be certain religions, uh, you couldn't eat meat on a Friday. Right? Or you could only eat fish. Paul is saying here, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days even, which were a shadow of things to come. Now, if you, if you uh, are going to make a picture, you don't make a picture of the shadow. You make a picture of the person. So when the person has come, you no longer need the shadow. The shadow is just the outline of where something's going to be. You know, when they're plotting out maybe where a layout, they do a, a chalk shadow. But once the stuff is there, you don't care about the, the outline. There is the reality. When Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of the law. 
and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, which were a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. So he's saying it's the body that makes the shadow. So when the body came, you no longer have to worry about the, the outward um, uh, symbols that the law was given to portray. So when people say, well, how come you guys don't uh, keep the Sabbath? I tell them I do. <laughs> I am actually the only, we're, on, we're the only ones who actually keep the Sabbath because it's not just in the outward appearance. You're just keeping the shadow. But we now, what do we have? We have the body. Amen? We have the body. So we're going to go on a little bit more and we're going to see this. So the Sabbath observance was part of the ceremonial law. I've taught it before. Today, those of you remember, how many parts to the law? How many parts are there to the law? Two. There are two parts of the law. There is the, they both start with C. There's the civil and the criminal, right? Those are the two parts to the laws today, right? Everybody awake? There's the civil and the criminal. So now if someone cheats you, they may not, Technically they, technically, they may have broken a criminal law, but for you to get justice, you're going to have to use the civil law to go after them, right? Now, if they break a criminal penalty, then there's a state's attorney or a city attorney that will go after them. So today we have two parts to our law. We have civil and criminal. When somebody breaks a contract, you have to use the civil law to go after them. But in the Middle East... And in, in, in the Jewish, there were three parts to their law. And again, the third part also starts with a C. Civil, criminal, and... You said it. Ceremonial. Right? Ceremonial. They had all the ceremonies that they were also supposed to keep. Now, today in Saudi Arabia, they still have a religious law. They had religious police. And if you break the religious laws... That's just as bad as if you break a criminal or a civil law. They will arrest you. Like if a woman, uh, I think they just allowed a woman to drive in Saudi Arabia. But prior to that, if a woman drove, that was breaking the, ceremony, the religious laws. So in, in Judaism, they had three parts of the law. They had the civil, the criminal, and the ceremonial law. Now, here is what Jesus did away with. In the law that was given to Moses, as I said, there were three parts. But it was only until the body came. That's what Paul was saying. The shadow, it was a shadow of the things to come. Exodus 18.20 And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and thou shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Hebrews 9.1 makes it plain that all of this was only until the body, the one who was the lawgiver, Came Then verily the first covenant, it's talking about the Old Testament, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, which stood only in meats and drinks. It was in outward appearance. It was in physical things. Thou shalt not touch. You can't eat this. Don't mix that. Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers' washings. That means it cleaned the outside. It was like the fig leaves. It, it took care of the outside, but it really couldn't do anything for the heart. And carnal ordinances imposed on them until 
the time of the Reformation. So I put this up there. In Colossians, Paul writing to the church says, blotting out, this is what Jesus did. He blot out the handwriting of those ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Wherefore, if he be dead, wherefore, if he be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world, he are subject to the ordinances. Paul was telling them, listen, if you are dead in Christ, don't be subject to, you don't have to be subject to the, some of the things of the law. Remember, there were people telling them they still had to be circumcised. They still had to do animal sacrifice. There were still all of these ceremonial pressures that they were to keep. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he, speaking of Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, between us and God. Remember, there was a curtain that they could not pass if you were not a Levite. And then even then, if you were not the high priest, you still couldn't pass the inner curtain. But what happened when Jesus died? And I say it every time. That curtain tore into. He broke down that middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in those ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now, the best example of this is when Jesus was walking through a cornfield on the Sabbath day with his disciples. I'll get to that. I'll, I'll start with John 5, 7. We'll get to that. He did miracles on the Sabbath day, and they said, you've broken the law because you've done a work. John 5, 7. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. And while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. But Jesus so they, they asked him, who did this? Who told you that you could do this? And at the time, he didn't know who it was. Later on, Jesus met him, and then he told him who he was. And then he went and told them. And they came to Jesus and asked him, what authority do you have to be telling people they can do this? But Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now it was the Sabbath, right? He's saying, God does not stop existing or doing, maintaining the universe through his word just because it's the Sabbath. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but he also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. You understand what was happening here? Jesus was showing something new was coming, that it wasn't just the old ordinances of touch not, taste not, and all these things. Because in the Old Testament, they would have been guilty of being stoned. He would have been guilty of being stoned because they, they put that down as a work. In Second Corinthians 5.19, it says, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, not counting down their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the same word of reconciliation. Okay, so I'm building here a, a, a picture and a case that I want you to get about the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, God set up this symbol for them to truly understand something that he was trying to show them, that it was his works, not ours. 
It was his perfection, not ours. And that to get through that seventh year, they had to totally trust him. And it was not about the outward show of piety or religiousness, but it was about truly submitting your trust to God and faith in God. In Genesis 1 to 28, it said, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. I'm turning it down a little bit. Got a little bit warm in here. Be fruitful and and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over everything that moveth upon the earth. And the Lord God commanded the men, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. It was the breaking of God's commandment that ended the rest that Adam and Eve had because they had also entered God's rest. They had entered into paradise. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today, thou shalt be with me, what? So I want to contrast something. This was the command given to Adam. Who was Adam? Okay, the point I'm making, there was no Ten Commandments given to Adam. Right? There was no Sabbath command given to Adam. Not explicitly. Okay? The commandments came. Why did Paul say the law came? To make sin appear more sinful. But the first commandments were not the Ten Commandments. They were these four commandments. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish and subdue and have dominion. Now what is the commands given to the Gentile church? It's found in Acts chapter 15. Remember there was a big fight about what should be taught to the Gentile church. There rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed them, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. But that's not what was decided. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And in the end, James got up and said, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. So the commands that were given to Adam, son of God, was not the Ten Commandments. Why? Because he was created into God's rest. And all he had to do was stay in God's rest. When you're in God's rest, then it's not about touch not, eat not, and all those things. It's about God's rest because that's your place. It's only when you come out of God's rest that all these laws now bring you into condemnation. So this was the practice of the first church. They did not keep the Sabbath as the Jews did. It says, and upon the first day of the week... When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. Well, we know what the first day of the week is. It's a Sunday. We call it the Sunday. It's not the seventh. So the practice of the early church was always to meet on a Sunday. Now, it doesn't really matter what day you meet. Because to us, every day should be what? Holy. We don't have a, a, a six days where we can do what we want. And then on the Sunday, we come and we confess and make it right. Right? That's, that's not how it should work. Every day should be our Sabbath day of rest. Entering into God's place. Entering into that place of faith. Entering into that place of trust. But I'm just showing you that it was a habit and a development of the early church that they did not keep the Sabbath. 
1 Corinthians 16, 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, and there become no gatherings when I come. They collected the offerings on the first day of the week. In um, the other scripture, it says there, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and give God thanks. What it was saying is, you can't let your personal convictions be condemning of someone else's as long as it's not um, clear in Scripture that it's a sin. That means if I know some people don't eat meat, and that's okay, it's probably maybe healthy, but there is no prohibition given to the New Testament church. It was to abstain from things offered to idols, abstain from blood, right, from fornication. And um, the other one that they said, um, let me go back there because I don't want to misquote it, from things strangled and from blood, from pollutions of idols. And so that was what was given to the church. Now, if you have a personal conviction, that's fine. That's, that's okay. Maybe you want to get fit and uh, you're going to just eat vegetables. Great. I think that's awesome. But let's go to what the true meaning of the Sabbath is. Verse 3, Genesis 2, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Why does it say he did that? Because. Because in it he had rested. And really in the, in the Hebrew it means ceased. Again, God does not get tired. He has ceased from all his work. Imagine, as I said, when the bird makes this beautiful nest... It's now ready for the little birdling, what do you call it? Baby bird? Chick? To come and stay in the nest. Now imagine, after all this trouble, the baby bird jumps out the nest. That's exactly, exactly what Adam and Eve and the human race has done. We've jumped out this nest. Be like, you know, you, you paint this beautiful little baby room blue or pink. You have the little, you know, bassinet and you have the little bin with all. You, you've seen how these ladies do it. You've seen how they, they've done the baby room, right? Y'all looking at me like it's strange. No, I, I've seen some. They got it all ready. And little Johnny, he's two days old and he crawls out and decides he's going to live down on the stairs. <laughs> That's, ex- that's exactly what the human race has done. They ex- exited God's rest. They exited God's rest. He had ceased from all his work. He had built this beautiful place for us to live in. And that's why it was. It was originally God's work being complete. And that's why it says from the foundation of the world. And that's why it says even though the works were complete. God doesn't, did, doesn't, didn't have to do any more except through redemption but the works were complete. Hebrews 4.4 4, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. So now I want to bring this because we're going to have to stop. Who are the true Sabbath keepers? Do you know we are still supposed to keep the Sabbath? But not in the way people think. Anyone, how are we supposed to keep the Sabbath? Okay. Resting in Christ. Let's read what it says in Hebrews 9. When I, I read verse 1 and I'm going to start from verse 7. In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer is describing 
some of the ordinances that the high priest had to do. And he goes into a lot of detail. Verse 7. He's saying that once, but into the second, into the second room, that is the Holy of Holies, went the high priest alone once every year. And he couldn't do that without blood. He had to bring the sacrifice of blood with him, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Now the Holy Ghost, thus signifying that the way into the Holy of Holies, the reason why that curtain was there, was that it wasn't made plain until Jesus died. The Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. All of these ceremonies and these symbols had to stay because the way was not made plain yet because what? Jesus had not died. He had not fulfilled what these ceremonies were all talking about. He had not become the Passover lamb. In fact, we're already in the lead-up to the Passover, of course, when is it? Next week, uh, the 9th, we celebrate Easter. But of course, actually, it will be on next week, Tuesday, at sunset, I believe, will be the actual true uh, beginning of the Easter. The Holy Ghost thus signifying the way into the holiest was not made open. All of those things, ceremonies, represented the fact that Jesus had not died yet. And he makes that plain in verse 9. He says, which was a figure. It means it was a symbol. It was a model. God gave them those ceremonies as a model of something that had a future fulfillment. It says, which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. So what I'm trying to tell you is that the Sabbath ceremony was also a symbol for something. For what? I'm going to get to it. Which was offered both gifts and sacrifices that even though they kept doing these things, never made anyone perfect as pertaining to conscience because it only stood in all these carnal ordinance imposed on them. What used to shock me was then when I read this in Hebrews when God said, you know, it was them testing me. I used to think, well, God was testing them. But God says in Hebrews 3.9, when your fathers tempted me and proved me, and saw my works 40 years. You know what he was saying? The reason why I'm so mad with them is that nothing I did ever was good enough for them to believe. Nothing I did from the first plague in Egypt, the flies, the river turning to blood, even the parting of the Red Sea. Ten, ten miracles, ten undeniable miracles. And then the ones in the desert where... Food fell from heaven. Their clothes never wore out. They won every battle. And still they did not believe. When your fathers tempted me, tested me, and saw my works, they saw his works. That means they saw the place of rest, that all they had to do was trust him. And then they came up to the promised land and they said, we can't do it. As if they had done anything as if it was up to them to defeat the giants. See, that's why we have to be careful. This was all a, a message to us. Remember what it said, the Sabbath was created as a, and I'm giving you the answer, a sign. A sign. That's what it is. He says, this is a sign. The sign is, do you trust me? Do you believe me? When you get to the sixth year, you are not to plant. That seventh year, you're going to have to live and trust that when you come to reap that sixth year, you're going to reap double. You see, you can only enter God's rest through belief. 
You can only enter his rest through belief. But if you are a true Sabbath keeper, you can enter his rest even now. In fact, we are supposed to be Sabbath keepers. But we are a Sabbath keeper of belief, of trust, of faith. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. What a sad verse. That with the one where he says to Saul, to, to Samuel, stop praying for, for King Saul. This verse has got to be one of them really sad verses in the Bible where it says, where God gets so angry, he says, I swore in my anger, they shall not enter in my rest. And so all of them died out because they had seen so many miracles. In fact, really what, what killed them was that effectively they committed that unforgivable sin which is denying revealed truth. It's when they absolutely knew who had done all these miracles, how they had gotten out of Egypt when Pharaoh had said, no, you're not going anywhere. They knew that no way could so many million people be alive in the desert with their flocks for years unless there was something supernatural happening. They knew all of that. They knew the time when the day stood, the sun stood still. And there was an abnormally long day. They, they had seen every miracle. And that's why one of the worst things God hates is ungratefulness. And a lack of faith. Especially when we've had miracles in our own life. He is saying, listen, you need to be a Sabbath keeper of my rest. In other words, you enter God's Sabbath today by just believing him. It's not a work. It's not something you do. It's not by coming to church necessarily. It's not by how much you give. It's not by, it's by faith are ye saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We enter his rest by just trusting him. And now our flesh don't want to. Our flesh starts to want to look and say, well, what if I don't do this? How am I going to survive? Same things the Jews did. On the sixth year they said, you know, but what if we don't plant on the seventh year? They had to trust. God put that there so that they would trust him. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I'm trying to finish so that we can get to the discussion. Take heed, brethren. Here the writer of Hebrews calls lack of faith an evil heart. He equates it with having an evil heart. Lest any of be among you that has an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. You see the reason why God was so angry. Is because they had seen. Multiple multiple miracles. God was not so angry with the. Roman soldier crucifying him. He said forgive him. He doesn't know. But we. We. Who have left Egypt. Who have seen miracles. Who Bible says who have tasted. The gift of the Holy Spirit. We can be in a dangerous place if we now reject him and come to unbelief. Lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are, were made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We have to stay in that rest. It'd be like, um, you know, as I said, I gave the analogy of a, preparing a beautiful baby room and the baby decides to just crawl out, <laughs> go down and live underneath the stairs. That's where I want to stay. 
It's like at Christmas, you know, you buy this beautiful, beautiful gift and all they want to do is play with the box. <laughs> you spent, you know, $50 on this beautiful toy and all they're doing is play. The box is so much better, isn't it? <laughs> Satan is so deceitful. Instead of looking at what God has given us, he's, he's wanting us to live underneath the stairs. And yet we could be in a place of rest. How do we get there? By just trusting. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're facing right now, what God is saying, do you trust me? Do you believe that I have got this? It's not anything you can fix anyway. Even if you did your very best, you couldn't achieve anything. For we are made partakers. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today if he will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Again, I say the reason why God got so angry and was justified was it wasn't that they didn't know. They had seen dozens, multiple dozens of miracles. One after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And they come now to the border of Canaan and say, we can't do nothing. Because they're giants. We can't do nothing. They're giants. I don't know. You know, it was a miracle. It was Moses standing in the way else. God would have already destroyed them. Moses interceded and said, God, you don't destroy them, please. Don't destroy them. Because all the, all the uh, other tribes will say you, you weren't powerful enough to deliver them. But you can understand why God was so mad because there was nothing more he could do. There may be nothing more God could do because he's already done miracles in each of our lives. And he's saying, why don't you trust me? Why won't you just lean back and enter my rest? Because entering his rest and being a Sabbath keeper today is just trusting him. It's just saying, God, I've got these huge problems, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Hebrews 4. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And here is the key. For we which believe have do, believe do enter in his rest. If you're a believer, you're also a Sabbath keeper because you're entering to the works that God has done from the beginning. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Amen.